This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everyone. If it's your first time at ABC Church, we give you a welcome. That's very wet today here in Wales. And if you're listening online, it's, it's great for you to spend the time to join us. Thank you very much. Having a good day so far? Thank God for gravity. Thank God for gravity. I mean, it's quite a handy thing. It stops us right now from kind of spinning off this mortal coil of ours. If it wasn't for gravity, the forces would kind of cast us away. We'd find it difficult to get home. Our cars would begin to float in the air. Thank God for gravity. Any of you would love to go spacewalking? And wear one of those spacesuits. Yeah, I'd, I would love to do that. So I wonder, a bit of a, a quiz again. We had a pop quiz the other day. Uh, next week when we're together, I'll have a bit of a film quiz with you. But today is a science quiz. Any of you scientists in the house this morning? Yeah, I love a bit of science. Any of you love science? Chemistry, biology, physics. Physics was my favorite. Any of you here remember the ticker tape test that used to do on uh, velocity and motion in school? Remember the ticker tape? No, just me used to use ticker tape uh, at school then. But I wonder this morning, out of all the scientists that we've got in the house, how many of you can recite to me Newton's first law of motion? Anybody know that one? It's one of the very few, Ohm's law and Newton's law, one of the very, very few that I know off the top of my head. Anybody know it? Come on. Oh, you're getting there. That's his third law. But I like what you've just said there. We'll come back to that one in a minute. Newton's first law is every mass stays at rest or moves at a constant speed in the same direction unless acted on by a resultant force. That was his first law. But the law I want to talk about this morning, for a minute briefly by means of introduction if I can, is Newton's third law. And Newton's third law that Joe already yelled from the back was... To every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And that's what I want to look at this morning. We're continuing our series this morning in Unoffendable, and we're looking at this issue of what is happening in our society increasingly, that people get offended for the slightest thing. And instead of them processing that themselves in a correct way to resolve their differences with their offense, what our society is trying to do at this moment in time is get everybody else to change their behavior towards them in order to make the world okay. And the world is not okay like that because we will always be in a situation that somebody causes offense. I mean, I'm just saying it, right in church this morning north of town they've decided to close the a483 this morning and that's created some problems for everyone that's traveling from clangardog and clandilo and all of those areas north of here to come to church this morning i can guarantee that few of them have caused an offense this morning once they realized the roads were closed they had to take a detour and i'm sure they put their foot down a little bit quicker to get to church didn't they Come on, I can see you in here. Or those that went to Leeds last night, maybe. <laughs> to the opening of Life Church uh, Leeds campus. And don't we think that's awesome what Dave and Abs Niblock are doing up there? Um, uh, you know, a great campus that they've got. But a few from the church went up to uh, spend time with them and to celebrate that with them last night and made it back by 1 a.m. I, I think that's a bit of an offense. And we can get offended so easily. 
And what I want to look at this morning is in our, in our time together, we're going to look at the fruit of offense. Because to every action, there is an equal and an opposite reaction. If we get offended, or should I say, when we get offended, because it's easy to get offended, isn't it? Come on, let's be real. What happens in our heart and soul? And as we turn to our theme verse for this series from uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23, that number one priority that God speaks in the Bible to us, he says, above all else, says Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart because it's the very life spring of life itself. Come on, let's pray as we turn to God's word this morning briefly. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that's ours to have it in an app on our phone or to read it on the internet or to have it in printed format in front of us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege that's ours to have the word so that we can read it and learn God's plan for our lives. Men and women have died and have sacrificed to bring us your word. Faced persecution, faced death itself and even lost life itself to bring us the word. So Lord, as we turn to it this morning, help us realize the grace of God and the privilege that's ours to be able to open your word, read it and understand it so it can change our lives. Bless our time together, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Because, like, it's not something you intend to happen, is it? You know, you don't set out one day thinking, I really would love it if I would just get offended today. I mean, you'd be a bit nuts if you did that, wouldn't you? You'd be a bit crazy if you said, I would say, actually, today's a good day to become offended. In fact, you could maybe, you know, start a Twitter Hashtag that you could have, you know, like this Motivation Monday. Why do we start a day called Offended Friday? And it's the one particular day of the week that we set out to get offended. Do you think that would be a good idea? I think that would be nuts. I think that would be crazy because, like, who on earth? I mean, we want Motivation Monday. Who wants Motivation Monday? Who wants Fab Friday? Yeah. You're like, nobody wants, like, Angry Wednesday. Nobody wants, like, a suck it up Sunday. or like, like, we don't want all of that stuff, do we? But the thing of life is it continually throws challenges across us every single day that we need to cope with. And the thing is, when it comes to this getting offended by that Facebook post or that email that someone sends us or a comment that someone says or, or just sometimes just a very state that we are in sometimes in life itself that we take something to heart. What is our reaction? Because to every action there is an equal and an opposite reaction. So I want to share a few things with you, first of all, in the fruit of offence. And before I talk to you about fruit, what do we need to bring forth fruit? In the middle of an apple, when you eat an apple, girls, there's something right in the middle. We tend to throw it away, don't we? It's called the apple core. And what does the apple core contain? Seeds. 
In fact, I knew one girl, Lisa Clark, that was in our school, who used to chew the orange pips. How messed up is that? I wasn't like offended. I just thought it was a bit weird. Why would somebody, have you tried chewing an orange pip? No, we tend to just flick the pips away. But offense starts, first of all, with a seed. Because to have fruit, you must have seed. And the Bible tells us that the seed of offense, and it shows us that they are the things, the responses of the human heart. The seeds of offense are things like envy, jealousy, a criticism, and things that can become the seed. When the offense has happened, it brings forth a seed that can lead to fruit that's even more destructive than envy or jealousy or criticism itself. Let me explain. Galatians 5, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says this, the acts of the flesh, our, our human natural response in life, because we're broken and we're messed up, that's our natural reaction. The, act, the 15 acts of the flesh, the things that we are drawn towards and do as human beings, there's eight physical sins there, and there's seven what I call hidden sins. Let me read them to you. The eight physical sins are sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, drunkenness, orgies, and fits of rage. Can you believe it that the Bible writes such explicit stuff down there? And it says, look, look, those are the acts of the flesh. That's the stuff that we naturally want to get involved in. But quite often in churches, we, we switch over some of the other stuff. I mean, if somebody was sexually immoral in church, we'd have a word. You know, if we found out there was an orgy at someone's house last night, I think we'd have a quiet word with them, wouldn't we? Not that I've ever heard of that happening at our church. But these hidden sins are just as deadly. Let me read them to you. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Selfish ambition. Look, there's nothing wrong with ambition. But there's everything wrong in selfish ambition. Look, I don't mind Donald Trump wanting to be president for the good of the United States of America. But a little bird tells me that that might be a little bit of selfish ambition on his part. Do you agree? If Boris is listening, not that Boris Johnson would listen to anybody else, I think he has quite a bit of selfish ambition in his heart. How do I know that? Because he's changed his mind on so many things over recent years. He changes his political opinion because he wants power more than anything else, does that man? Even though I'm a, look, I'm a conservative, that's, that's my view. I have those kind of, um, you know, left, right of center views. But the whole essence of these hidden sins like hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, they are the seeds of offense. They cause even more damage than just that itself. Are you encouraged this morning as we are turning to God's word and listening? Am I encouraging you? It's horrible, isn't it? Just talk about this stuff. But this is the stuff of life. And I want to leave you with some practical keys this morning so that we don't bear fruit from the seeds of offense. So can I ask you, let's take our temperature this morning spiritually. Okay, if you want to see if someone's good, you know, the nurse comes along and sees, you know, the little, little child's got temperature. We take a temperature and we see if everything's okay. 
Can you take a spiritual temperature with me this morning? Do you hate? Do you harbor hate towards someone? Do you envy? Are there people in your life right now that you say, oh, they, they, you know, and you do the comparison thing? Or as uh, Stephen Furtick says, particularly on Facebook and stuff like that, what does he say? We compare our backstage with everybody else's highlight reel. The danger of comparison. Do you harbor jealousy? Selfish ambition. You're like, it should have been me. <laughs> oh, it should have been me. Hey? Do you bring, are you a person that brings discord, dissension and factions over the dinner table or at the restaurant? Are you the one that stirs it up by bringing all kinds of subjects that they don't deserve a place around the dinner table? They're going to lead nowhere if we talk and criticize. Are you generally disagreeable? If we are, let's take our spiritual thermometer this morning because those very things itself are the seed of, of offense. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah. Like seek a quiet life. Okay, let it go. That neighbor next door, that boss in the office, that person in accounts, whoever it is, just let it go. Let's learn as far as it's possible, as far as it depends on us, let's live at peace with everyone. And let's kind of push those things out and let it go because the seeds of offense will lead to the fruit of offense. So as if hatred, discord, jealousy, and selfish ambition and dissension, as if that is bad enough, the thing is this, is if we harbor those things in our hearts, do you want to know who it hurts? Do you want to know who it hurts the most? Not them. Hurts you. I mean, do you realize you can hate me all you like if that's you sat there right this morning? You can hate me all you like. Do you realize it doesn't actually affect me? Do you realize that? And you can hold this stuff in your heart. Like, like Jesus was hated more than anyone, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Didn't they come? And they, you know, we, we, in Friday night, we were reading a passage from Luke 4 where, you know, he, he just opens a scroll and reads from the prophet Isaiah and says, this is what was spoken to the prophet. That they, you know, this is the time has come and I'm fulfilling this prophecy now. And he says, I know what you're all thinking. He says, you know, physician, heal yourself to do the same miracles here in uh, Galilee, as he said, as you did down in Capernaum, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, I know what you're all thinking. And they got angry and mad with Jesus. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. They took him out to try and stone him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that in my preaching this morning, I read a Bible and I say a couple of passages of scripture out of it that you think is wonderful, and then a resulting end of the service is the police are called and say, what's wrong? So sorry, the, the uh, members of ABC Church took Phil out and they stoned him this afternoon because of what he said. Like, can you imagine how much hate? That's how Jesus was hated. Did it hurt Jesus? Cost him his life. Cost him his life. He laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. But as I've said several times, Jesus was unoffendable, 
even on the cross, after going through all the process of crucifixion, harrowing death, that is, you know, there's several ways to uh, bring a capital punishment on people, but, you know, crucifixion was so bad that it was agreed globally that we ban it. Do you read, are you aware of that? Amazing. Jesus was crucified, and on the cross, you know, he lets the thief in, doesn't he? He says, ah, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then his, those words that he declared from the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus was living out Romans 12. As far as it was possible for him, as far as it depended on him, he lived at peace with everyone. The fruit of offense, as if this lot is not bad enough that you harbor it, what happens as you push this stuff out to the world yourself, hatred and envy and jealousy and criticism, you harm yourself. The fruit is born in you. The seed is in you, so the fruit is born in you. And it leads to this thing that psychologists call, this is a psychological term called bitterness. Have you ever met bitter people? It's a sad thing, you know, when you meet bitter people. A friend of mine in the week had lost his father. He hadn't spoke to his father for several years. And, uh, you know, he was talking to me and just saying that um, he'd wished he'd just gone and mended the bridge between him and his dad. I mean, he says, I don't know really whose fault it was. I said something, he said something, and it just escalated. And for two, three years, he hadn't spoke to his father, and his father's now gone. He says, I'll never get that time back to right wrongs. Uh, he says, it's just consuming me. And I had the opportunity to talk to him about the forgiveness of Christ. That Jesus mends all wounds in our hearts, in our minds, in our very soul itself. There's forgiveness in Jesus, isn't there? There's forgiveness in him. And it leads to bitterness. He said, I'd got angry. I'd hold in this massive grudge. And I can't even tell you like, what it was specifically about. I really can't. It just escalated. And that's what happens often. Bitterness, holding grudges, grievances, rancor or resentment. This thing called bitterness can often lead to hate and anger and a desire to want revenge and vengeance for a perceived wrongdoing. And it might be wrongdoing that's actual or it might be perceived. Okay, you might have actually been wronged. And you might have actually just perceived you've been wronged. It's something that you've taken to hand. Either way, you can't allow those seeds to bear fruit. Otherwise, it will destroy your very soul itself. James 1.15 says this, Then after desire has conceived. Do you know when somebody wrongs you? Do, do you go through the desire thing? Do you do? Say, Lord, if you would only. <laughs> Don't you? You say, you answer the prayer. Lord, it's quite simple to answer the prayer. All you need to do is do this. Do we do that? Come on. Do we do that? I'm just being real talk. Not thy will, but my will be done. That's, what, that's the prayer we really want to pray, isn't it? We say, Lord, he could fix this so easily too, so that I could be vindicated, so that this could, you know, so, Lord, people could see that I'm right. Isn't it? Really good. Yeah, that the whole world could see that you were right all along. Wouldn't it be so easy? But it doesn't work like that because we just got to let it go. 
God is a refuge and strength. God is on your side. Just let it go because the danger is it will destroy you. In fact, around communion, when Paul is teaching the Corinthians about breaking bread together, he goes on to say about bitterness and the effect it has on us. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many have died. Did you hear that? Many have died. There are people that are sick and there are people that are unwell today because they've harbored a seed of offense that's then borne fruit in their lives and it's destroying them. Don't believe me? Well, you might not believe me, but you might believe Dr. Stephen Diamond, who is a psychology writer on psychology Today website, one of the most popular websites on all things about the mind and psychology. He defines bitterness as a chronic and pervasive state of smoldering resentment and deservedly regards it as one of the most destructive and toxic human emotions of all. He goes on to say, I'd add that if we repeatedly ruminate over how we've been victimized, And nursing our wrongs, it will eventually come to define some essential part of who we are. The bitterness will become part of us. It will take hold of our very personality and so we'll end up becoming victims, not so much of anyone else, but principally a victim of ourselves and our reaction to a situation. Such is the inevitable result of becoming obsessed with blaming someone or something else for our misery, rather than refusing to permit external hindrances or setbacks from blocking us from pursuing our goals. But frankly, it's all too easy to hamper ourselves by falling into the trap of righteously obsessing about our injuries or outrage. For doing so, we feel better. We can proclaim our innocence and virtue in the face of such deeply felt abuse. It offers us gratification of feeling that we are better than or morally superior to the sources of our wrongs. Amazing, isn't it? That's a psychologist writing of how our brains work and the effect it has on our body. So what's the cure for bitterness? Let me... Quote another psychologist for you. Virtually every writer who has weighed in on the subject of bitterness has discussed its ultimate remedy is in terms of forgiveness and forgiveness only. For forgiveness alone enables you to let go of grievances, grudges, rancor and resentments. It's the single most potent antidote for the venomous desire of retributive justice poisoning your system this is not the bible saying now this is not phil saying these are psychologists and people that study the human brain and and study our humanity and how we work and if this he goes on to say if this impulse hasn't infected you physically it's at least affected you mentally and emotionally So learning with or without loving compassion to forgive your violator facilitates your recovering from a wound that while it may have originated from outside yourself 
has been kept alive and even nurtured and the venom you've synthesized now within you. Ephesians 4.32, thank God that the work of the Bible makes it so simple that we can understand. There's a lot of psychological, I was going to say mumbo-jumbo, but maybe that's making light of the the subject. There's big psychological words um, there for us. But can I say this? Ephesians 4.32 says it's a lot, lot easier. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be a nice human. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. How's about we just do that? Is that a good idea? Come on then. Let's move forward in the last five minutes that we've got together. I didn't want to just leave you going into Sunday lunch with, you know, talking around the table. What did Pastor speak about this morning? Well, to be honest, he mentioned orgies. He mentioned sexual immorality. He mentioned hatred and that we're going to make ourselves ill. I I thought I'd leave you with a more positive note. Do you want a more positive note on Motivation Sunday here at church? So what I want to finish with is what do we need to do to make sure that these seeds don't find life in our heart in order that they bear fruit? Should we do that together? Shall we look at some defensive actions? So we talked a little bit before about the three R's, didn't we? You know, when we were talking about the trap of offense, we talked about realize that we're offended, that we need to realize it ourselves, recognize it, and then refuse to take it on board. So on the backdrop of what we talked about last time, can I ask you to take four defensive actions that are required? And a great defense is important, isn't it? Your immune system is a great defense in your body to stop all kinds of colds and flus and all of that kind of stuff to come your way. A good immune system is a good defense to prevent you from getting uh, unwell. Fionn uh, has just gone to, our middle daughter Fionn has just gone to Armenia. She's uh, out there with Wales. And one of the things that Fionn has taught me about football is the first thing in football that they do is make sure that they don't concede goals. Have a tight defense. That back line is required to make sure that we're not conceding ground before we start. That we're not so busy trying to score goals and trying to attack over there to make sure that we've got a good, solid defense to start with. So let me give you four things that can be in your life a solid defense. Four things that we can look at. The first of all, the first defense we can have is that we continually abide in God's word. Now look, I know this is so basic and practical you're thinking how well how can just reading a book change my life? I'll tell you what, this book will change your life, right? Because this ain't Harry Potter by J.K. Rowling. This book is God-breathed. This is our maker giving us a manual for how our life and how our body works. I challenge you, you cannot read this book without it changing you. Try it. Go on, try it. Take Phil's 30-day challenge if you want. You try and sit down with God's word and read it without it changing you. And that's the essence of it. Psalm 119 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. His word we hide in our hearts. We take it in. We suck it in. The laws that we want to write on the very soul itself so that we don't 
fall into the trap that the, the enemy has. So look, I say it all the time here. Look, can you spend at least, we can give God 15 minutes. Can we start there? 15 minutes a day that we're opening our Bibles, reading a passage of scripture and then praying. I'm doing the Bible in one year at the moment with Nicky Gumbel. It is awesome. Really is. I love his writing. Takes me about like 25 to 30 minutes to, to get through that uh, on a morning. So if that's something you, you want to do, look at uh, hashtag B-I-O-Y on Twitter and Facebook. Have a look at that and start jumping in on reading it systematically every day. So number one, defense. Abide in his word. Number two, exhibit the fruit of the spirit. So we talked there about the works of the flesh that were written in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, I love these words, love, joy, I said joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, describing my lovely wife. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are those great things to have, isn't it? Love. Let's exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So fits of rage can only be contained by self-control. And he's given us these secrets for us to have love and joy instead of criticizing Always look at the bright side of life. Can we do that? It's raining this morning. Thank God it's raining. <laughs> Run out in the rain. I mean, like back in the summer, some of you were screaming for some rain. Oh, it'd be good to have some rain, wouldn't it? Yeah. Continually abide in his word. Exhibit the fruit of the spirit. And as we close and as the team come. Number three. Choose your teammates wisely. There's nothing worse than somebody that doesn't do team, is it? I mean, some of you guys that have played football or some of you girls doing netball or any kind of team sport, even when you work together as a team, there's nothing that goes for glory themselves, isn't it? Like a goal hunter or somebody think, oh, just, if you'd have passed it out to the left there, eh, I'd have been in, isn't it? But we do team, don't we? You want a solid defense and we have to pick our teammates very, very wisely. We read in Proverbs, bad company corrupts good character. It doesn't say that good company improves bad character. does not say that. You will get dragged down. And if you're around people that are continually critical of you and others, you just need to like, tell look, look, I don't want that stuff in my life. And if, if it's required, if it's required with toxic people, if it's required, you need to distance yourself from them because the Bible teaches us that bad company corrupts good character. And then this one in closing, part number four. So we've, number one, continually abiding his word. Number two, live and exhibit the fruit of the spirit. Number three, choose your teammates wisely. Can I leave you with number four? Probably the most important thing to help keep our heart pure. And it's this that we learn to keep a clear conscience. You know, your conscience is, it's like a, I don't know how to describe it, it's like a compass in your life. You know, Nicky Cruz, that was the evangelist that was in, uh, 
in New York, in the USA, and the Mau Maus, and this was going all the way back to the 1950s and 1960s, and God had called him to go and get into these ghettos and in these places to win these gangs that would have rumbles, as they called them. If you want to get Run, Baby, Run, it's a fantastic book. If you're young people, look it up, get it online. Run, Baby, Run, a fantastic book of how Nicky Cruz went and uh, won a guy that was a gang member. Remember his name, everyone? Luis Palau. And became an evangelist in the end. You know, so so winning people uh, over for Christ. Sorry, it was David Wilkerson, sorry, that, that went and was um, going into um, the... The gangs. And the thing that was interesting is even gang members have got a code. I mean, it was okay, you know, to do anything to them, but you couldn't turn on each other. They would kill you if you beat up on someone else or went with a gang member's girlfriend or anything else like that. They still had this kind of compass that was in their lives, but it was off true north. And you know, our compass that's in our hearts as well, our conscience, is quite clear. We've got a conscience. Sometimes we have a guilty conscience for some of the things that we do. And you know, we can harden our hearts. And our compass can go slightly off beam. That some things, well, it's, it's okay to steal the odd thing from the office. Or it's okay just to do that. I mean, that's just a little white lie. It's not a real lie. And our compass can soon start to go off of the true north that God sets for us. So much so that quite often some people end up going south instead of north, like the prodigal son. They think he knows best, give me the half of your estate, and I'm off. But the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son tells us in John 15, it says, coming to his senses. Coming to his senses. And he begins to reset his compass and come back to father and home. And what's required in our lives to keep our compass set on true north? Listen to me, church. Listen to this. We've got to keep a clear conscience with ourselves that we can live with ourselves and that we can live with God. Set it to true north. No matter what it costs you, never compromise. Never give ground. Say no. Fight for no. Keep your life pure. Above all else, guard your heart. Acts 24 verse 16 to 18 says this, and I'm reading this in the Amplified version. Paul writes about this. He's talking about this area of offense. He says, therefore, I always exercise and discipline myself. I mortify my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites, and worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects To have a clear, unshaken, blameless conscience. Void of offense toward God and men. Can I read that again for you? I'm just going to read the last bit of it, yeah? We live a life of keeping our conscience pure, keeping our life aligned with Him by abiding in His Word, by exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, by choosing our teammates wisely and avoiding bad company. In so doing, we come void of offence. We become unoffendable. Void of offence towards God 
and towards men. And that's what I love about Jesus. See, is there on the cross when I needed saving from my sin, when I needed somebody to save me because of the choices that I made in life. And, you know, you make choices and you're driven away, but thank God that he rescued me and that he rescued you. And the only way we were rescued is because of the unoffendable Jesus. Towards God and men, he gets on the cross. He gives his life as a ransom for each and every one of us so that we can live an unoffendable life too. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And next week as we talk about the love of God in closing and locking out this unoffendable series together. You know, we there's nothing like taking a gift and throwing it back in someone's face, isn't it? I remember being in someone's house once they had a gift and they brought this gift and said, oh. and after they'd left, they said, oh, what do I want that for? Went straight to the bin, opened it, threw it in. I just went, oh my word. Oh my word. I can't believe they just threw that away. I said, oh, it's a pile of junk anyway. I know they mean well. I thought, well, they could have at least, if that's what they thought, they could have at least spared me the sight of seeing that. And sometimes that's what we do with God's free gift. In our own lives, we have seeds of bitterness. And we have fruit in our life that's bad and sick. When Jesus made a way for us to take a different path. And it's kind of like, we'll talk about it more next week, it's kind of like we open a bin and just throw the free gift that God has given us of freedom. And we say, I don't need that. I prefer my bitterness and my anger and my envy. Come on, let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray for each of us here, Lord, that you'd help us to keep a clear conscience. Lord, mend us. Help us to forgive. Help us to do right. Help us to move the compass of our life to Jesus, our true north that you would help us, O oh God, to get into your word and allow it to change and transform our lives. That you would help us to live and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in a powerful way in our lives. That you'd give us power to stand in the world that we find ourselves in. And O oh God, that you'd help us to choose our teammates and our friends wisely. Lord, help us to make brave choices in that area, O oh God. And last of all, Lord, purify our conscience convict us of our sin lead us to repentance O oh God that we might honour the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us to bring us to freedom and a life of love joy and peace in Jesus name we ask Amen This message was brought to you by ABC Church for more information please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter you can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.